This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Wow, Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. Happy Saturday. A super Saturday. We've got Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, and Maine having Republican uh, caucuses. I think they're all caucuses. I think Louisiana is a primary. Uh, the other ones are caucuses. Weird little Kentucky fact that I learned the other day, if I can, if I can explain this clearly. So it's against Kentucky law to be on the ballot for two different races. Okay, so you can't, so I'll be specific, Rand Paul was running for president and running for U.S. Senate, and it's against the law to run for two offices at the same time. So he had the GOP change the rules in Kentucky, and they changed it from a primary to a caucus. So I guess that counts as him not being on a ballot? Technically, I guess somehow. So he could run for president and Senate at the same time. That doesn't make any sense. But I, I think the <laughs> kind of, point is he changed the rules. So now Kentucky's having a caucus for the very first time in their history, which is a little ironic because the Paul family has complained often in the past about rules being changed to benefit not to them. But anyway, who am I to, who am I to judge you? Uh, Sue, if I were making a prediction, even though I could just wait a couple hours here and we'll all find out, but, uh, it looks like Kansas may be Ted Cruz country and, uh, Kentucky, Louisiana, and Maine will probably go for Trump, but they're all, I think they're all, um, proportional delegates. So, uh, no, no one's going to take a huge advantage. Now, can I just, sh- I don't, uh, flip, did we talk, well, you weren't here last week. What did we do? I don't know if I talked about this last week. I don't think I did. Okay. Real quick about a contested convention. Real quick about this. The rule currently states that if a candidate does not get 1,237 delegates, then we can have a contested convention, an open convention. But here's what the rule also states. And by the way, that's why Mitt Romney said, hey, vote for Kasich in Ohio, vote for Rubio in Florida, because they want to prevent Trump from getting 1,237 delegates. But the rule also states that in order to put your name in contention at a contested convention, to put your name on the, on the ballot, you have to have won a majority of delegates in at least eight states. It's rule 40. We talked about this on CNN the other day, uh, late at night, though, if you probably didn't catch it. Um, it's called rule 40. So you have to win the majority of delegates in at least eight states in order to put your name uh, to to be in the running at a contested convention. So you're thinking, okay, who's going to win eight states? Well, it's not just who's going to win eight states. You have to win the majority of delegates in eight states. So Ted Cruz, for instance, and now we're getting in the weeds here, but Ted Cruz, he's won four states, but he's only won the majority of delegates in one state, Texas. We'll take Iowa, for example. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it's proportional. So he won, Ted Cruz won Iowa, but he won, let's say, 16 delegates. But second place won 12 delegates and third place won nine delegates. So Ted Cruz won the state, but he didn't win a majority of the delegates. He only won, let's say, 40% of the delegates. So that doesn't count. He only has won one state 
with a majority of delegates, and that's Texas. So he would have to win the majority of delegates in seven more states moving forward. Now, good news for him, or Rubio, because Rubio's won no states, majority of delegates. The states coming up after next Tuesday are winner take all. So those guys have to win. I mean, let's say, let's take Cruz. Cruz has to win seven more winner take all states. Maybe he can do it. Maybe not. That's a lot. And if he doesn't, then he can't even be in the running at a contested convention. That's why a lot of people said, well, maybe Mitt Romney's going to throw his name in. He's not even, he can't even because he has to win the majority of delegates in, in eight states. Now, the giant asterisk on that entire two minute explanation there, which you may or may not have, which I may or may not have clearly articulated. The giant asterisk is the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are private clubs and they can come up with rules, change the rules, break the rules, ignore the rules, however they want. It's a private club. They do whatever they want. So they can change the rules and they literally will rewrite the rules a week before the actual convention to say whatever they want. So everything I just said, (laughs) I guess, probably won't even apply by the time we get to uh, July. But anyway, I want to talk about the preference cascade, as it is called. So there is this belief going around that Donald Trump will not do well in a general election. And I want to talk about why people think that coming up. Now, I believe he, well, it doesn't matter. I'll just say that people thought he was a joke candidate 10 months ago. And here he is. He's, you know, he's won 10 states out of the whatever, 15 so far. So just as that is surprising to a lot of people, he'll have surprising victories in the general election as well. There's a book called Private Truths, Public Lies. It's by Tamur Karan. And he talks about this, this thing called preference falsification. So preference falsification is when people hide their unpopular opinion to avoid being ostracized or punished. Right? We've all been there. You don't you, you have an opinion and you you don't you don't share it because you know the people around you probably don't agree with it and just don't want to whatever. You don't want to be ostracized or heaven forbid you want to be punished for having this view, so you keep it to yourself. But you stop hiding that opinion when you feel like it's safe. To share it. I bring this up because every once in a while, I'll come across a wealthy professional type person, a doctor, something like that. And they'll say, Slater, who do you like for president? And I'll say, who do you like? <laughs> and this is what they do every time. I've had this happen 20 times. They say, well, um, I mean, I don't really know, but I mean, I kind of, kind of like Donald Trump, you know, and they're like, they're like looking around they're like, they get real close and I kind of like Donald Trump, <laughs> like whisper it to me. It's like, oh, we can have a conversation at normal volume here. We don't have, but no, they feel like they have to kind of do this. They feel like it's not a safe place to, sh- you know, I don't want my employees to know that I'm like Donald Trump and I'm just going to tell you real quietly. That's called preference falsification. They know that that opinion of liking Donald Trump is not one that they can share with their coworkers. So they keep it to themselves, but they think it's safe to share with me. 
preference falsification. Now, this is an incredibly powerful force. Uh, I just want to share a story about the Soviet Union, right? So the police and the propaganda people in the Soviet Union enforce preference falsifi- uh, falsification. They, they need to make it seem like everyone is for the regime. So if you're living in the Soviet Union and you don't like the regime, you feel like you're the only person who feels that way. You feel like you're the only person who doesn't support them. But the truth is everyone feels that way. Every, no, no one likes the regime. Everyone hates them. But everyone feels like they're the only person who feels that way. And they feel like if they shared that with anyone, then they would be ostracized or even worse. They feel like everyone else loves it. And they're the only one who hates it, so they keep it to themselves. Then something happens. Something breaks the spell that everyone's in. And people realize, well, wait, wait a second, I guess, guess I'm not alone. And now everyone's free to share their true opinion. And let's say the Soviet Union, once it falls, everyone's like, oh my gosh, I hated them too. And everyone's like, you too? You hated? Oh my gosh. And you find out everyone hated the regime all along. They just didn't know, they thought it wasn't safe to share it. And it may not have been. But now it is. Now to the outside world looking in the Soviet Union, people would look at that and be like, oh my gosh, people really changed their opinion very quickly. They had a sudden change in opinion. No, they didn't. They felt that way for a very long time. They've hated the regime for a very long time. It's just that now suddenly they're able to express their opinion without fear of being ostracized or punished. That is called the preference cascade. Because a new preference cascades quickly, right? It falls very quickly. It's, oh my gosh, you do? I didn't even know. I thought I was the only one who felt that way. So why is this relevant to today? A couple weeks ago, i got to pull up this article here real quick. A few weeks ago, Glenn Reynolds wrote a great article about upper-class, well-educated people who like Donald Trump. Upper-class, well-educated. So the perception is that uh, the people who like Donald Trump are poor, lower-class, dumb people. <laughs> the redneck NASCAR, not NASCAR crowd, right? That's when I was talking to someone in Maine yesterday. And he, they went to a Trump rally and they went to a cruise rally in the last day. And I said, oh, what, what were the differences between the two? And they said, oh, totally different. I said, what do you mean? And he goes, I, I, I want to make sure I word this properly and I'll never be able to articulate it the same. But he said, oh, I didn't recognize anybody at the Trump rally. But the way he said it, I wasn't even right. And I said, what do you mean you didn't recognize anybody? He's like, well, I went to the cruise rally and I knew people there. Said, oh, there's a state senator, and there's uh, you know the guy who, you know what you know the county chairman guy, and and then you go to the he went to the Trump rally. He's like, I didn't, I don't even know who these people are. Like who first? I, and I think he meant that isn't like well, they're not important people there. I literally didn't know anybody, but I think it was also like who are these people? Like what? I know I don't see you out and about ever. Former paper mill employee who lost his job 10 years ago and struggles to support his family on a minimum wage job today. Like, who? I never see you out of who are you? And those are the people that Trump uh, gets out to his rallies. People that this reporter doesn't even recognize. I don't even know who these people are. So but that's the perception that that's who votes for Trump. And that's the only people who will vote for Trump. And I, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm not saying this in support of Trump necessarily. I'm just telling you that uh, Trump has a ton of upper class supporters as well 
It's just that they don't feel like it's safe to share their opinion. There's a novelist. His name's Brett Easton Ellis. He tweeted the other day. He said, I just got back from a dinner in West Hollywood. Shocked that the majority of the table was voting for Trump, but they would never admit it publicly. So that is the preference falsification, right? That's the, so West Hollywood's the gay part of town. So it's like, well, I'm a, um, I'm a gay uh, Hollywood liberal or whatever, but I actually like Donald Trump. Uh, I'm not going to tell anyone about that because that's crazy, but uh, you know, they won't like it around here, but I actually really like Donald Trump, but they won't admit it publicly. That's where a lot of people are at right now, upper middle class or upper uh, you know, wealthier, more professional people. But the day will come when it will be okay to admit that you like Donald Trump and there will be a landslide for him. What do you think of that? one 888 I want to share an article coming back from the Financial Times. It was a letter to the editor, actually. A letter to the editor of the Financial Times. And I think this will... Help prove my point if you're a little a little skeptical about it right now. One eight hundred seven, or excuse me, one eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Slater Radio on Twitter is called the Preference Cascade. Uh, I just got some um, results back here. One percent, so early, but uh, this is Kansas. Ted Cruz forty five percent of the vote. Donald Trump thirty. Kasich and Rubio with eleven. So that's one percent, but that will probably hold. So Kansas will probably be the state that Cruz wins today of of the four. Uh, it's the I-35 corridor as he won Oklahoma and uh, Texas. So looks like he may pull off with a, a Kansas victory as well with 1% reporting as planned. one 888 Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater. Slater Crusaders. They're reading tweets here. Um, I, I don't know. I'm going to, because two people tweeted me a similar thing. First of all, I was, so I was on, so this part, Dominic said, I saw you on Lou Dobbs and I can say I saw Romney's speech. And he goes on, I, I got a couple people saw me on Lou Dobbs yesterday and I said something on Lou Dobbs that made them think I'm a Trump or I'm. Yeah, that I support Trump. I'm not supporting anyone. I'm not coming out. I mean, every analysis we've ever had is is just that. It's an analysis. I'm really observing this race from 30,000 feet. And that may be weird. I should have maybe clarified that more um, here because on my local show, I'm here in San Diego, California. We vote last. We're literally the last people to vote. June 7th. So I don't really, I haven't really looked at the race this may sound wrong, but like someone in Kansas who's voting today, the last couple of weeks, they've been looking very specifically at different policy points or this or that because I'm going to vote today. In California, we're looking at it a little bit differently because we're not voting for four months. Right. So I should have maybe come out with that, uh, that we're really looking at this race. Or I've been looking at this race from a 30,000 foot perspective, which may be different than than you need to look at it if you're voting soon. 
Um, so I'm not for one candidate or the other. I'm, that's not. I don't. I don't think that's my job. Uh, but anyway, Dominic and someone else, RJ, said, you know, how can your theory be right about cascade preference if, you know, Trump only gets you know thirty percent of the vote or forty percent of the vote in all these states because that means sixty percent is anyone but Trump. I get that, but isn't that true in every primary? At least a primary where there's, you know, more than two people running. That's always the case, isn't it? Where you have one guy who will win with 40% of the vote, and then everyone else combined gets 60%. I mean, technically, <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to look back at other primaries, but I think that's how that works. I don't know if that's really an argument because Trump may be a lot of people's second choice, and I think that's true. Maybe not yours. Maybe not yours. But when Rubio drops out, or if Rubio drops out, I'm just, making, I'm just saying him. I don't need any Rubio supporters to yell at me. If Rubio drops out, then I bet... 30% of them go to uh, Cruz, 30% go to Kasich, 30%-ish go to Trump, right? 33% around of it. You know, maybe a little bit more here or there, but it's going to evenly-ish spread out to everyone. So Trump is a lot of people's second choice. So I don't know. I, I, I still think that theory stands even though he's only getting only getting 40%, which is still more than anyone else. So it's nothing. So anyway, my point is that Trump has a lot more support from upper like wealthy professional people than we think. I want to read a letter here that was written to the Financial Times. So the Financial Times is a very uh, prestigious uh, newspaper. It's the pink newspaper that you may see uh, from time to time in the airport laying around somewhere, right? Uh, I, don't know if I've ever, I don't know if I've ever read, actually seen anyone read the Financial Times, but it's, it's there somewhere. Anyway, this is a letter. Uh, Sir, my wife and I are affluent Americans with postgraduate degrees. We are socially liberal and fiscally mildly conservative. We are not the sans culottes you see as the prototypical Trump voter. All right, I had to look up with sans, what sans culottes means. I, I, no, I had no idea what that word meant. Uh, so sans culottes, so sans means without, and culottes, those are the types of pants that, if you, if you visualize our founding fathers, you, you probably think of them wearing culottes. They're the pants that sort of go to your knees, and then they're like stockings on the way down. So those in the France, those are what wealthy people wore. Wealthy, prestigious people wore culottes and regular working Joes wore pants. So the without culottes are blue collar people, right? So that's how obnoxious this person is who's writing this letter, right? That they use the word sans culottes, right? Okay, so, uh, so we are not the sans culottes. We're not the working class blue collar people that you see as your n- usual Trump voter. We are uh, well aware of his vulgarity, and uh, yet we contemplate voting for him. Why? Electing the standard bearer of the Democratic Party seems purposeless. The Neanderthal Republicans barely respecting the legitimacy of Bill Clinton or Barack Obama's election, let alone that of Hillary, who would arrive tainted with scandal and the email lapses hanging over her head. We would get four years of gridlock and hearings. The Republican tribunes, Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, are backward, foolish, and inexperienced. That leaves the Donald. Really a moderate in Wolf's garb, who would owe nothing to either party and might strike deals, for instance, on tax reform. I think there's a lot of people like that. This is the Washington Post a couple days ago. Many readers would probably be stunned by some of the people who are secretly supporting Trump and don't want to admit it on the record. His coalition includes not just jock-ribbed conservatives, but Ivy League-educated professionals. Some realize he may not authentically be conservative and look the other way. Some who fancy themselves moderates admire the businessman's malleability. 
He has a lot broader support than I think people are thinking. For better or worse. Part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusader's got 1.7% reporting from Kansas. Ted Cruz with a commanding 45% lead over Donald Trump at 28%. Uh, Cruz will probably win Kansas. And uh, predictions have it that Trump has Kentucky, Louisiana, and Maine. And those aren't going to close for a little while longer. But anyway, Kansas uh, it could be Cruz territory. We'll see. Find out soon enough. I want to go to Jim in Minnesota. Uh, Rubio territory, right? I mean, Rubio won Minnesota, right, Jim? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the one. The one he won. What? Real quick, before yeah, we get to your right. point, he's got to win something. What's up with Minnesota? Minnesota's such a funny place. They, you got Al know, Franken, you got uh, Jesse the Body. Like, what's going on there? What? What's, what? What's your deal? Okay. Well, I'll let you know. As far as first off, as you know, I'm a very much of a conservative Christian as far as a Republican, and uh, it's a Republican last for sure, but. Uh, in this state, unfortunately, we tend to, as far as on, you know, as far as Republicans voting, we tend to go after the traditional candidate, the establishment candidate, and that's what happened in Minnesota with Rubio. He's definitely establishment, and huh. uh, fortunately, when it was pretty close though, because you know, at my caucus, you know, I'm a delegate and I'm also election judge, and uh, my caucus, you know, it was just packed. It was wow. packed to the max. And, uh, but anyway, uh, in my room, you know, as far as they divide us up into wards and precincts, and as far as in my ward and my precinct, uh, actually, Cruz won, uh, as far as in, you know, but then, of course, in, for the whole city of Hastings, where it's a, you know, Mississippi River town, and it's a small, nice little town, but it's a suburb of the Twin Cities, and, uh, but Ruby only won by 60 votes. And uh, part of it, as far as, you know, I kind of related as far as, as a, being a retired uh, Navy veteran and an Iraq war vet, I, you know, they actually would have their prepared uh, as far as, uh, you know, things that, as far as the candidates said is about, about them. And I read the one from Cruz because I'm a big Cruz supporter. I love Cruz. And uh, anyway, so I read that, and then they asked, uh, you know, somebody prepare statements for Rubio. They had prepared statements for uh, as far as Carson, and they had one mm-hmm. for Rubio. And uh, as far as they were read, and then, of course, you know, they didn't have one for Trump, which kind of surprised me. And so people were able to chime in for like a half hour. And, of course, I chimed in and I said, hey, as a retired Navy veteran, uh, you know, there's no way I can support Trump uh, because of the fact that uh, he's a draft dodger. He's a self-admitted draft dodger. Hmm. And, of course, also as a Christian, you know, as far as the amount of times that he's cheated on his first and second wives and admitted it in his book, far as you know that's i have a real problem with him because if you're cheating on the most you know the the most important relationship in your life how can i trust you and i basically you know talked kind of just laid it out as far as i said also to that trump he's a bully i don't like bullies i don't think we should be you know catering uh, you know like our country being ruled by a bully and a lot of people really in fact several people after i had said this is i changed my vote just based on what you said I said I was on the fence between Rubio and Cruz, but I'm definitely a Cruz supporter now. Good for you. Way to be effective. Um, now let, let me oh, let yeah. me challenge let me challenge the bully line there real quick. Sure. So because okay. this is what a lot of people would say or feel. I think mm-hmm. 
Okay. Not that he's a bully, but that he's a warrior alpha male, and we need an oh, alpha male who will win. I think that's what people think. He's an alpha male oh, who yeah. will win because I don't think I anyone know. would say that Barack Obama's a manly man. No, Mitt Romney, not. right? I mean, these guys aren't manly men. Um, but not, but so it's about time we get someone in there who is. I think that's a very oh, like yeah. subliminal, primal way of looking at oh, yeah. Donald Trump. So how do you overcome that? Yeah. Or what's the difference between that and okay, a bully? Okay, well, it's easy because uh, Cruz, as you know, he's an avid shooter. In fact, uh, one of the things he did was how he, he cooks his bacon. You know, wrapped around the, uh, as far the as gun, the, yeah. uh, the gun. And I'm just going, yeah, baby, that speaks to me as you know, Second Amendment support. I don't see Donald doing something like that. He says, yeah, I carry. And I says, but hey, I've seen him doing commercials that actually shows that, you know, he's into, you know, being a you know, gun enthusiast. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Jim, listen, man, I appreciate you, you calling in. I'm, I'm glad to chat with you. And uh, congratulations on, on switching pe- people's uh, votes. I mean, that's wonderful. And, uh, I love the, uh, as far as the Crusaders, the uh, Slater Crusaders. Slater, give me, yep. give me what, Crusaders, yep. that's Slater Crusaders. Yep. Oh, yeah. Well, that's I'm it. definitely a part of the team. So just like Team Duck. They, yeah, <laughs> that's it jim appreciate you being here brother thank you man thank you dude um so it's one thing i think it's really interesting uh and by the way i would congratulate anyone who is able to convince other people to change their vote i think that's an admirable um uh, thing to do and 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 well done if that's was your intent um so we read the a second ago i read the letter to the Financial Times from a from affluent Americans with postgraduate degrees who use the word sans culettes in a sentence. Okay, and my argument was that there's a lot more upper class, upper middle class, upper upper class professionals voting for Trump than we think. Now, the letter goes on to say, uh, here it is: the Donald, who is really a moderate in wolf's garb, would owe nothing to either party and might strike deals, for instance, on tax reform. One thing I think is really interesting about Trump's support is two different people can support Donald Trump for two opposite reasons. It's really unbelievable. I've heard people, I've talked to people who support Donald Trump because he will replace Obamacare. He'll get rid of Obamacare, replace it with a free market healthcare policy. And I've talked to someone who supports Donald Trump because they like Obamacare. And Donald Trump said that other single payer systems in other countries are great. And they think he'll expand Obamacare. And I'm thinking, wait a second. Because this guy over here supports Trump because he'll get rid of Obamacare. And you're telling me you, you support Trump because he likes single payer and will expand Obamacare? Like, yep. And both of them. Are, how can that possibly? People support Donald Trump for opposite reasons. It's remarkable that he's been able to pull that off. I've talked to someone who supports Donald Trump because he's going to deport 11 million people. And I've talked to someone who supports Donald Trump because he supports amnesty. Some form of it. Or will, or they believe he will. Because he won't really deport 11 million people. Is that wild? Like someone's like, I support Donald Trump because finally someone's going to deport 11 million people. And then someone else says, I support Donald Trump because he's not really going to deport 11 million people. He'll do the right thing. <laughs> like what? Now, we talked a lot about Barack Obama. And this is years ago. We talked about his platform, Hope and Change. That was his motto, Hope and Change. And that was a brilliant motto 
because it doesn't mean anything. Change, it doesn't, it's not a script. So you can project whatever you want on it and he doesn't have to actually say it, right? So if you think change means um, tax rate's going to be 90%, then you say, oh, Barack Obama agrees with me. See, hope and change. He wants change. He wants the tax rate to be 90%. Someone else can say, you know, oh, I like Obama because he's going to increase the tax rate to 50%. Well, he never said either of those things. He just said we're going to raise taxes, but you can project whatever you want on him. That's that's because change is a nondescript. It doesn't say where you're going. It just says we're going to change. If I was driving down the street and I said, I don't want to go in this direction anymore. I'm going to change directions. That doesn't say where we're going to go. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about where we're going now. I just we're just, change, we're just not going in this one direction, but there's... 359 other degrees of direction I could go. So Obama was able to take all those just by saying change and never really defining it. But this is different because the people who supported Obama, they didn't support him for opposite reasons, just different degrees. They, they, they varied on the degree of similar reasons, right? We knew that Obama was going to raise taxes. We have people who support Trump for totally opposite reasons. Absolutely opposite. Give me another example. He says he's going to kill ISIS, carpet bomb them, kill their families. And uh, he's going to tell the military generals to do whatever he wants them to do. And if they disagree, oh, believe me, they'll do what I want them to do. Even if it violates the Geneva Convention, we're going to torture, we're going to waterboard, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Believe me, they'll follow my orders, right? That was at the debate. The day after, Friday afternoon. He issues a press release and he says, well, you know, on second thought, you know, I'm never going to force the generals to do things that are illegal. Now, he did that quietly to appease people who wanted to hear that. So now what you're going to get are people who support Donald Trump because he's going to carpet bag the entire Middle East, carpet bag, carpet bomb the entire Middle East, take no prisoners, kill everyone. And then you have people who are going to support Donald Trump because he's a sensible, reasonable delegator who will work with our military generals to be as efficient as possible. I'll give you an example. A lot of people support Donald Trump because he's going to carpet bag the carpet bomb the Middle East. Some people support Donald Trump because he wasn't for the Iraq war. And he's against military intervention in the Middle East. So literally opposite reasons. This is called strategic ambiguity. He knows exactly what he's doing. This is not by accident. Trump knows exactly what he's doing when he does this. Strategic ambiguity. People support it for opposite reasons. It's wild. So to go back to this, this rich, rich people's letter, they support him because they say he's really a moderate and wolf's garb. But then you get a lot of Trump supporters who support him because he's, they think he's the most conservative person ever to walk the face of the earth. So he's, su- so he's either super conservative, but then these other people support him because, well, he's not really conservative. <laughs> so what? How's he done that? And he's gonna win. Probably. One eight eight nine hundred thirty-three ninety-three. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty-three ninety-three. How does that work though? How does that work? We know he's doing it. How does it work? It works because of a little thing called confirmation bias. We'll explain the science behind that coming up next. Mike Slater show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network.
Mike Slater. Slater Crusader's huge day for uh, Cruz in Kansas. Uh, well, he got 3% reporting, but he's up 53%. So uh, we, we predicted that Cruz would win Kansas. But if he can pull off uh, over a 50% victory, that'd be huge. Because then he'd get a majority of the delegates. Remember, as we were talking about earlier, as the rules currently state, Rule 40, in order to submit, submit your name as a, uh, in a brokered convention, in order to submit it, you have to win a majority of delegates in at least eight states. And Cruz has only done that in one state so far, Texas. He's won other states, but he hasn't won a majority of the delegates in other states. So Kansas is proportional. But if he wins over 50% of the vote, then he would win the majority of delegates in that state too. And that would give him two states. And he has to win only six more after that. So really important for a Cruz not just to win Kansas, but to win a majority of the delegates. So if you're a Cruz supporter and you're watching the Kansas results come in and you see the media... Because no one's talked about this Rule 40. We talked about it on CNN the other day, and the producer came up to me and said, "What? how did you know? No, I've never heard anyone say that. So no one's talking about it. But So they may just stop paying attention to it, to, to Kansas. Up, oh, Cruz won by a lot. Let's move on to another state. You got to keep watching it, though. And if you, if you like Cruz, you want him to get over 50%. Especially because Trump's probably going to win Kansas, uh, uh, Maine, uh, Louisiana, and Kentucky. But he probably won't win a majority of delegates in those states either. I don't know. We'll see. Find out in a few days. That's why, or a few hours. So I don't really much like sports talk radio. Just wait a minute. You'll find the answer. Same thing here. Just wait, wait a couple hours. Um, but is that, do you see what I'm saying about strategic ambiguity from that last segment? It's wild that so many people like Donald Trump for opposite reasons. Opposite reasons. It's crazy. Um, I think the war is probably the easiest example, right? If you oppose war, then you might like Donald Trump because he opposed the Iraq war, right? They, he says, and then, you know, he, he sort, of, sort of has a reluctance to, to go overseas. He sort of presents that posture from at times. But then if you do think that the U.S. should just bomb other countries all the time, then Trump's your guy because he wants to blow up ISIS, and kill their families. So, two very different opinions. Two very different people support Trump for the opposite reasons. If you want a religious president, well, Trump's belonged to a church since he was a kid. He says the Bible's his favorite book. Says he reads the Bible more than anyone. It's a quote. I read the Bible more than anyone. Said he was uh, audited probably because he's such a strong Christian, right? And if you want to believe that that's true, then you will. Now, if you don't like mixing religion and politics, then Trump's going to be your guy because he hasn't really made a big deal about religion in the end. And he's you know, pretty obviously not. I mean, right? So, uh, again, two different people support Donald Trump for two opposite reasons. Why do we believe this, though? And this is what I want to talk about in the next segment. It's confirmation bias. Very interesting, this confirmation bias. Very powerful. And that's why I want to spend so much time on it coming up next. It's very powerful. Like, one of the most powerful things in how we make decisions and how we see the world, truly. And it's been around forever. Uh, Thucydides wrote in the Peloponnesian War. I don't have enough time to look up when that was written. I apologize. Uh, But Thucydides said, for it is a habit of mankind to entrust to careless hope what they long for and to use sovereign reason to thrust aside what they do not fancy. In today's language, that means people cling to what they want to believe 
and ignore what they don't want to believe. So it's a habit of mankind to entrust to careless hope what they long for, what they want, right? Carelessly hope for what they want and just hold on to that. And then to use reason to thrust aside what they do not want. And we do that all the time. People who like Trump will like him because... Some people will like him because he, he, they hate socialized health care. And he said once you know, that he wants to get rid of Obamacare. And then people who love single payer like him because he said he likes single payers around the world. And whatever you like about him, you'll cling to it. And whatever you don't, you'll ignore it. Confirmation bias. We'll talk about it next. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Wow, Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. How are you? Happy Saturday. Thank you for being here. Good news for Ted Cruz. His lead is gaining in Kansas, still only about 6 7% reporting, but uh, like I said, gaining. So now he's at 53.5%. Trump, 22%. Marco Rubio, 13%. Kasich, 9 um, This is important. Again, I'll, I'll do this real quick. Because in order to submit your name for consideration at a contested convention, the rules currently state that you need to get the majority of delegates in at least eight states. So Cruz has won four states, but he doesn't have the majority of delegates in four states. He only has the majority of delegates in one state. Texas. So if he can win Kansas... By over 50%. Up. Oh, it just went down. It went down to 49.4. So that's what you got to watch this for. But now with 11% reporting. So if he can get a majority of delegates in Kansas, and I don't know how it exactly works with the representation. Every state's a little bit different. But if he gets over 50%, he'll get a majority. There could be a chance that if he gets even like 47, 48, 49%, but it depends. I don't know how many you know, at large delegates Kansas has is different. So let's just say he has to get over 50%. Then he wins a majority of delegates. So now he only needs six more states in order to even be up for consideration at the convention. Because if he doesn't, the rules currently state, you're not even allowed to submit your name. And then Trump would win, even if Trump doesn't get 1,237 delegates. Now, I go through that quickly, and if you didn't understand that, that's okay, because the giant asterisk is that the Republican party is a private club and they can change the rules whenever they want, however they want, for whatever reason they want a week before the election. So, or a week before the convention. So I guess none of that really matters. All right. I want to talk about confirmation bias because I think it's the most powerful force in our lives. Truly. It's the most powerful subliminal force in our lives. You know what I mean? The Holy spirit is, but you know what I mean? mean? Like subliminal, like unknowing force that everyone has. Is that a better way of putting it? Not a new phenomenon. I just quoted from Thucydides. Right? He noticed it thousands of years ago. And I think it's the most powerful force when it comes to how we take in news and how we interpret news and how we make decisions for candidates. We do it all the time. The reason I, I thought of it is because I noticed that different people support Donald Trump for opposite reasons. Not different reasons. That's, that's, a, that's a different thing. And different reasons, that's fine, right? You support him because of his ter- trade policy and you support him because of his whatever, healthcare policy, right? Those are different reasons. And it's one thing to support someone because of varying degrees of a similar reason, right? 
you may support Donald Trump because he's going to raise tariffs by 20%. Someone else may support Donald Trump because he's going to raise tariffs by 40%. That's a varying degrees. I'm saying there's people who support Donald Trump for opposite reasons. Right? I support Donald Trump because he voted against the Iraq war and he doesn't want to go into the Middle East. And then someone else says, I support Donald Trump because he's going to carpet bomb everyone and and kill ISIS's family members. Right? So like people support for totally different, opposite reasons, which is wild. How can that be? How can Donald Trump be all things to all people? I guess how does he get away with it is the thing. Why don't people call him out on that more often? Why don't people... Why doesn't everyone, truly everyone, say, well, hold on. These are opposite things. This person supports you, Donald, because you're going to deport 11 million people. This person supports you because they think you're going to support amnesty. What? How, how does that work? Confirmation bias. And we do it all the time. I think our brains are the least understood thing on the planet. I really do. Like Our brains in the ocean. Like. We have no idea what's going on in the ocean. We really don't. And we have no idea what's going on with our brains. We have no clue. Give you an example. Do you know that we constantly see our nose? Our nose is in our line of sight. But we don't see it because our brain ignores it. Our brain knows that there's nothing important going on at the end of your nose. So you don't need to look at it all the time. So we ignore it. Our brain literally ignores this thing in its line of sight all the time, except for right now, because I mentioned it like right now you see your nose, right? Admit it. You see your nose right now because I mentioned it. And now it's really annoying. You're like, stop. I don't want to see it anymore. I'm just wait a minute and it'll go away again because you'll stop caring about it again. Isn't that interesting? Your nose is right there all the time. All the time. You never see it, though. Until I mention it. We do that with information, too. If you're buying a car. For, let's, if, let's, I'll just be general. If you're, Let's say your lease is running out on your car. You got like a month left on your lease and you're looking about what you're going to do next. All you see are car commercials. Everywhere. The truth is there's always car commercials. You just don't pay attention to them because you're not in the market for a car. If you're a woman and you really want to get pregnant, but you're having trouble getting pregnant, all you see is pregnant women everywhere, pregnant women everywhere. And you're like, why, are, why is everyone pregnant all of a sudden? <laughs> They've always, there's always been that many pregnant women. You just haven't noticed them because you didn't care. Dane Cook has a funny stand-up bit. He says, when you don't have love, it feels like there's a party going on and everybody was invited except for you. And you just happen to be walking by that house in the rain. And you look in the windows and everyone's in there having a great time. And you say, oh, I wasn't invited to this party. But then once you're in love, that's like being inside the party going, where's my jacket? I got to get out of here. I've been at this party for six years. I want to see other parties. Point is, if you just had a breakup, all you see is love birds around you, right? Right. If you see it, you see, you had a breakup, you're feeling down about it and you walk around and all you, you just see people canoodling on park benches everywhere. You're like how would it's cause you're aware of it now. Confirmation bias. We hear what we want to hear. We ignore what we don't want to hear. This is why I get emails every day on my local show. And this is why I'm getting tweets and emails right now. 
from people yelling at me because I support Donald Trump, and then I get emails from people yelling at me because I don't support Donald Trump. How, how is that possible? Literally in the same segment, I will do a segment, and people will say, Slater, I'm never listening to your show again because you support Donald Trump. You are so in the bag for Donald Trump. And in the same segment, I will get emails, Slater, I will never listen to your show again because you don't support Donald Trump and you need to start supporting him because he's the only real guy. And I'm thinking, what in the world? How is that possible? And it's because of confirmation bias. It depends on what you want to hear. For instance, my local show, I don't know if we'll have time to do it now. We did a segment on Mar-a-Lago. So Trump did his press conference, uh, or his victory speech, I guess, but it was a press conference, um, on Super Tuesday at his house, Mar-a-Lago. And the reason he did that is because he wanted to look prestigious. You know, we've been talking a lot about prestige and how that's how that's something Trump is relying on is his prestige. Why do you think he did his house, did a press conference at his house in, in Florida? As opposed to a ballroom at a Holiday Inn in Alabama. What, what do you th- Right to prestige and and they fell for it perfectly. I was watching Fox News, and Brett Baer goes, uh, "We're going to go to Carl Cameron, who's at the beautiful Mar-a-Lago Club in Florida, right there on the water." Gosh, Carl Cameron, you got the lucky assignment today. Sure did, uh, Chris. Man, it's beautiful here. There's marble on the walls, beautiful chandeliers. It's like I'm in the Palace of Versailles, and this is the private residence of Donald Trump. And it's like, guys, you just totally fell for exactly why Donald Trump wanted you to be in Mar-a-Lago. So you could talk about his prestige. Totally fell for it. It was hilarious. Anyway, I did a segment on Mar-a-Lago because it's an interesting story. Um, it was built by the, the daughter. Uh, her name's Marjorie Merriweather Post. Her dad was C.W. Post. Flip, any guess on why C.W. Post had a ton of money? Post, Post. Does his name Post ring a bell? Post, 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 Post. What's a famous Post thing? Post. Bingo. Nailed it. Cereal. CW Post is Post Cereal. So he died. He committed suicide when his daughter was 27. And she became the wealthiest woman in the country in 1927. And 10 years later, she built Mar-a-Lago. 100,000 square foot home right on the beach in, in, uh, in Florida. It's unbelievable. Long story, but when she passed away, she gave it to the federal government to be a house, like a retreat for presidents and dignitaries, foreign dignitaries. And the federal government screwed it up for like 10 years, and then Trump bought it for like nothing. So I told that story just because it's, it's interesting. I don't know, and you're going to see a lot more of Mar-a-Lago moving forward. Man, it was unbelievable. The emails I got, Slater, you're, oh, you are so in the bag talking about Donald Trump, how wonderful he is. And then I got, Slater, Matt, it's about time you do a positive segment on Donald Trump. And I'm like, whoa, it wasn't even about, like, <laughs> it's just people hear what they want to hear. We do it all the time. And Trump is playing that game on everyone. On everyone. Confirmation bias. You hear what you want to hear. You ignore what you don't want to hear. We do it all the time. And if I could snap my fingers up. Seriously, if I had one wish on changing people's behavior. You know what I'm saying? Go, go with me here. If I could just change one thing, it would be to eliminate confirmation bias. We just truly, we come to an opinion and we want to polish it and protect it. And anything that may challenge it, we Ignore it, and we only let in things that polish the conclusion we already came to. 
Really interesting. Now, why can Trump pull this off? Trump can pull it off because he doesn't really have a record. So Marco Rubio can't do it because he has a record on immigration. The gang of eight. He just can't shake it. Right? He did something he, he, in the past. He did things that were soft on immigration. And it doesn't matter if at every debate he outlines the toughest immigration policy from anyone else on stage. It doesn't matter. He can't play both sides. Trump can because he's new. So people can project whatever they want on him. And he can pull it off. That's why he can say, you know, he can blame Bush for 9-11 and he can say he was against the Iraq war, which makes him seem non-interventionalist. And then he can talk about blowing up ISIS and killing their families and people like that too. He's everything you want him to be. And I think the uh, last point on this, he's going to use this to his advantage, still moving forward. Because most people who are already supporting Donald Trump, there's nothing he can do to change their support. Nothing. Nothing. And he even said that. He said, I can shoot someone on Fifth Ave and they'd still vote for me. I think that's 100% true. There's nothing he can do. So if you support Donald Trump because he's going to build the tallest wall wall in the world and deport 11 million immigrants, you support him. You're never going to change your mind. Uh, That's what he thinks. He thinks you're never going to change his mind. So moving forward in the general election, he's going to talk more and more. First of all, he's not going to mention the wall anymore. And he's going to talk a lot more about amnesty. He will. He'll talk more about a pathway to citizenship. He'll talk. He'll move way to the middle. And because people who already supported Donald Trump because they think he's going to deport 11 million Americans because of confirmation bias, they're not even going to listen to that. They're only going to listen to what they already heard and what they wanted to believe, and they're going to ignore anything that doesn't. I guarantee it. one 900 and that's why he's going to win, because he's going to keep everyone who thinks he's going to deport 11 million people, and he's going to gain new people who say, oh, well, that's, that's a pretty sensible policy, that you just middle-of-the-road policy that Donald Trump came up with. That's surprising. I didn't know he's so, so moderate on these things. Wait for it. one 900 And it's really interesting if you thought that that segment was anti-Trump or pro-Trump. one 900 All right, 12% reporting in Kansas. Trump is over 50, or excuse me, Cruz, 50.3%. 50.3. He's got to get over 50% to win the majority of the delegates. So, uh, ooh, it's going to be a close one. This is important for convention time. one 900 Slater Radio. On Twitter, Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, thanks for being here. We went a little long in that segment. Apologies. All right, let's do this. Uh, let's spend a segment or two on this. This is going to be important. Uh, and again, I know sort of ties into my last segment. Uh, I'm not making this argument. Are we, are we on the same page here? I'm not making this argument. I'm just stating this stuff. So that you can better make your argument. Does that maybe that that seems to uh, it'll make sense when I'm done here? I think of all the attacks that have been made against Donald Trump, none of them have stuck. Right, none. This one 
will stick more than anything yet. Now, a little disclaimer on that. I'm not saying this is going to burn his campaign to the ground. Let's say on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being something that, that really sticks and 0 being something that doesn't. Every attack has been a 0 or a 1. This attack will be, it could be like a, a 3, right? So I'm not saying it's going to burn his campaign to the ground, but it's going to stick more than anything yet. And if you're a Trump supporter, don't yell at me and don't don't change the station. Just because this sounds like an attack on your guy, it's not. It's it's my goal here is to prepare you for what's to come. I want to talk about Trump University. Now hold on, here's why. I heard it taught in the last two weeks, I heard it sort of just thrown out here and there. Little trial balloons. But every time they mentioned it, I, I didn't I didn't I didn't know anything about Trump University until now, right? I never I never heard of it know anything about it but they kept throwing it out so i was like what is this trump university and then in the debate whatever a couple days ago megan kelly just railed into him for it right so it came up a lot now i talked about this on my local show a couple days ago and i said trump university hillary will destroy trump on this like and i don't mean it will be a she's gonna go after him hard on trump university it'll probably be her number one attack it's gonna be trump university and I'll explain why in a second here. But be prepared for this. So if you're a Trump supporter, be prepared. And you got to know what Trump University is and what happened and what people are saying happened and all the rest. Just so you can be prepared with an answer. Now, I did not anticipate that Rubio and, and Megan Kelly would go so hard uh, on him at it. But um, they did. And they will until the end of the election. I thought Hillary would go at him. She still will. But I didn't know the other Republicans would. So here's a little bit about Trump University. In 2005... They founded Trump University. In 2010, they had to change their name to the Trump Entrepreneur Initiative because it's not a real university. So here's how it works. In big cities across the country, they would have free 90-minute seminars called Trump University. And there's a promise that you would learn the secrets of, of real estate investing that made Donald Trump rich. And he said, he said, quote, in 90 minutes, my hand-picked instructors will share my techniques which took my entire career develop, to develop. Then just copy exactly what I've done and get rich. But really the seminar was just to get people to sign up for other programs and retreats and coaching ch- sessions and stuff like that. So the Atlantic got a hold of a 41-page internal document, and it was the guidebook for employees of Trump University. Page 23 said that the purpose of the 90-minute seminar is to, quote, sell, sell, sell. So the minimum sales goal was $72,000 per seminar, which means the seminar leaders needed to get 20% of the people to sign up for a three-day seminar, which costs $1,500. That's the three-day seminar. And there's different packages all the way up to the Trump Gold Elite Package, which costs $35,000. I liken it to... And I, I got to go here, but I'll, I'll explain more in a second. But I liken it to timeshare salespeople. They sold hard these other courses. And I'll explain more in a second. A lot of people said they didn't get what they thought they'd get. Now, Trump will say, well, 98% of people said they loved the course. That was a report card that was taken right after the course where people were fired up. But then as the months went on and the years went on and things didn't materialize, that's when they got upset and started suing. The, 
These are t- and by the way, Trump's going to be in San Diego in May to go on trial. Right? That'll be something. The reason that this will work, that, that this attack will stick more than anything in the, in the past when Hillary uses it, is it portrays Donald Trump as someone preying on desperate and vulnerable people. There's certain types of people in America that we hate. We hate mopers, we hate whiners, and we hate people who prey on the vulnerable. And Hillary is going to portray Donald Trump as someone who does just that. we got much more to say about Trump University, but I just want to give you all the background so that you know how to prepare for this. Because you thought it came hard a couple days ago? Not even. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Part of the next generation of talk radio. This is Mike Slater. Huh. I just, I, apparently I did not have a popular opinion on, on something I put on Facebook earlier this morning. All right, well, it's there. Uh, I won't even tell you what it's about. Go check it out and, and join the crowd against me, or, or you can back me up. Uh, you can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. RJ, hang tight one second. I want to make sure we're on the same page here uh, before I take a call. So we're talking about Trump University. Um, I just want to be clear. I'm not making the attack here. I'm merely presenting some background because I feel like Trump University is is thrown around a lot, this word, and, and it's used as an attack. And I didn't know what it was until recently. So if you are a big Trump fan, I think it's important that you know this information so that you can be prepared for it. So, again, started in 2005. It, it was a 90-minute seminar, and the goal of the 90-minute seminar was to get you to sign up for future seminars, which were not free. They ranged from a three-day seminar, which was $1,500, to uh, something that was $35,000. And we're getting this information from a 41-page document, a guidebook for the people who worked there. So they had to get 20% of the people who signed up to this, or who went to the free seminar to sign up for something else. That was the sales goal. The guidebook says chairs should be close enough together to give attendees sufficient space, but still bring attendees out of their comfort zone. Room temperature should be set at no more than 68 degrees uh, for whatever reason. Uh, I guarantee you there's some research there that 68 degrees is a temperature that makes people, I, I guarantee you it, there's market research done of the right temperature in order to get people to be more, uh, most likely to buy things. Again, we've talked about grocery stores. Every single thing about a grocery store is done purposefully. The color scheme, where things are placed, how high they're placed, where they're grouped, the music that's playing, and the temperature. Everything is set for a very specific reason. Um, A sales corral should be set up within close proximity to the door so that attendees need to walk past sales tables in order to exit. Have you ever done this timeshare? Have you ever seen these timeshare people? Remember last time I was in Vegas, you'll walk down the uh, the hallway and they'll say, Oh, sir, is that your wife? Oh, she is just beautiful. Hey, you two, I want to give you a free dinner tonight. Where are you guys going? You got, I'll tell you what, I got a great dinner I can get you guys to. Come here one second real quick. And man, we were like, oh, yeah, cool, free dinner. We're in Vegas. Yeah, free dinner. And we got there and within a minute. I'm like, oh, oh, we got to go. And I pulled my wife away. and she's, she's so sweet. She's like, what? I want to hear what he said. I'm like, no, they're trying to sell you timeshare. Run. 
it's pretty much what this. Now they weren't selling, selling timeshares; they were selling these other seminars, but they were selling it hard. Um, now, oh, and by the way, when they uh, when the seminar was over, and people started walking out to the sales tables, they were told to play the song "For the Love of Money" by the OJ's, which was the theme song to The Apprentice. Right, money, 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 money. Right, so play that. Over. Right, you get the idea. Now, what's wrong with all this? Uh, nothing, I guess. Right. I think one thing that's a little deceiving is that Donald Trump was dangled to everyone. But none of the courses, including the $35,000 course, none of them involved Donald Trump directly. The instructors would say stuff like, oh, yeah, Donald Trump's going to be in town, or he often drops by, or he might show up, but he never actually showed up. But they did have a cardboard cutout of Donald Trump, and people took pictures next to that. And you may hear Marco, and I guarantee you, you'll hear Hillary say that. Like, oh, you know, he signed up for this course, and all they got was a picture with a cardboard cutout. And I think Marco said that before. You know Hillary's going to. There's accusations that the instructors were not handpicked, and they had limited real estate experience. But again, it's, you know, Trump University. I promise that you'll get rich. Do my, follow my tricks and you'll get rich. And Hillary's going to, I get this is what's going to happen. Hillary's going to get a hundred victims, as she'll put it, victims together, talking about how they spent tens of thousands of dollars. They never got to meet Donald Trump. They never learned anything noteworthy. And it was a giant scam, and now I'm in big time debt. And what a what a fraud! That's what they're going to pitch. But it's going to be more than that. It's one thing to portray Donald Trump as a con man or a scam artist. It's going to be portraying Donald Trump as someone who preys on desperate people. And you're going to see pictures of people going to the 90 minute seminar with big smiles on their face, and they're going to be they were recently unemployed, and now they have hope. That, that Donald Trump will help them uh, make some money, provide for their family. You're going to see stories about single moms going to these seminars, hoping to learn something to provide for the right? You're going to see desperate people, vulnerable people, maybe is a better word. And as Peggy Noon said a couple weeks ago, and she was spot on, there's a division in this country between the protected and the unprotected. And we can talk more about that next, but I think you get it. What we're seeing right now are the unprotected people revolting. They're revolting against the people who write the laws but don't have to live in the world that the laws apply to, right? They're protected. So the unprotected people are revolting, and they, they, they're going behind Donald Trump. They think Donald Trump is the guy to lead the revolt. But Hillary is going to not only paint Donald Trump as someone who's in the protected class, but she's going to paint Donald Trump as someone who victimizes the unprotected. Here's a single mother who borrowed $30,000 to go to Trump University and turned out that she thinks it's a giant scam and she lost all of her money. Right? That's a vulnerable person who's unprotected and this rich fat cat guy preyed on her and took her money. That's how it's going to be portrayed. So you got uh, how many more months? Uh, It's the third month. We got six months. You got six months, Trump supporters. I guarantee you when he wins his primary, and I think he will, it's going to be Clinton and him. That's all you're going to hear about for this for the for the general election. That's all you're going to hear about is Donald Trump preying on vulnerable, desperate people. What's your reaction to that? 
1-888-933-93. What's your response to that? If you're a Trump supporter, what do you what do you come back with? Because I'll tell you, Donald Trump didn't do good in the last debate. He did not have a good response. He said, oh, 98% of people filled out the report card, said they love it. Yeah, but that was right after the course. Ask those people six months later what they thought about, what they learned. Right? They'll have a very different opinion. That 98% thing doesn't fly. That's going to get ripped apart. Um, what was it? He had another thing, too. Oh, I get, oh, this is, this is oh, I, I refunded a lot of people their money. Man, that's weak. That makes him seem weak. You know, his whole thing is about being strong, projecting strength, confidence, and to say, oh, I gave people their money back. That assumes that that makes people believe, wow, I guess there was, there is something to this, right? I guess people were really upset by what happened and really didn't like what they got, right? Donald Trump's saying, oh, I gave people their money back. I refunded them. That's not a good response. You know, and then, you know, say it's, it, it was D by the Better Business Bureau. And I don't know, A, D, whatever. Like that's, you know Hillary's just going to keep saying rated D, rated D, rated D over and over and over again. Trump doesn't have a good response to that stuff yet. one 933 What he needs to do, when Hillary gets 100 people who are victimized, Trump needs to find 100 people who made, you know, millions of dollars off of his program. And he needs to bring them out now and play some offense on this and talk about how great Trump University is, right? Trump's always on the offensive. He's always one step ahead. That's why he's won the media cycle for 10 months straight. He's always a step ahead. He sets reality. He doesn't defend. He doesn't react to reality that other people set. He sets the reality. And that's why everyone else plays defense all the time. But on Trump University, the left, or Hillary and Marco in this case, but Hillary next, she's going to have the upper hand if Trump doesn't Nip this in the bud right now by bringing out 100 people who made millions of dollars because of Trump University. He's got to do that now. Otherwise, Hillary's going to rail him on it. Go to RJ in uh, Minnesota. RJ, how are you, my man? Minnesota twice today. What's going on, RJ? I'm fine. I'm fine, and, and how are you? Great. Good, right? and thank, thank you for calling in. Absolutely. So what do you think about what I'm saying here about uh, Trump University? Spot on. The other day, I was out caucusing, and I came across this uh, Bernie Sanders-looking dude with uh, – Trump stickers all over him <clears throat> and I had to, you know, he was no threat to me. So I had to confront him and say, Hey, listen, you are going to be responsible for a Hillary win because if Trump gets nominated, I won't be voting for him. And Slater, you brought up the perfect point why I won't vote, won't vote for him. Although I won't vote for Hillary for, you, you know, what purposes lion sure. sack she is, but for Trump now for him preying on the vulnerable, there's no way I'll vote for him. I'll be staying home. So, therefore, that man, that little guy that looked like Bernie <clears throat> with the Trump stickers will be the reason that Hillary wins. So, your point is spot on. So, this is so interesting, right? RJ, you're, you're going to be a very important person in the general election. Now, we're assuming that Trump wins, and we'll find out in two weeks if that's true, right? Um, so, it's going to be Trump and Hillary. You are going to be very important because you're a conservative who will not be voting for the Republican, right? So a lot of people are going to be, yeah, a lot of people are going to be begging you to vote for Donald Trump and over Hillary. Otherwise they they say Hillary will win. They're going to be begging you. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just telling you, you're going to, they're going to court you. You're going to be the most important person. You know, Donald Trump says he's going to get a lot of Democrats, a lot of independents to vote for him, and maybe, but a lot of conservatives won't, and people are going to really want you to. What are you, what are you going to say to him? 
I'm going to reach out to them right now and say, <laughs> this is the reason you don't want to go there. Because when Hillary starts slamming Trump, there's nobody, there's nobody's going to want to get behind Trump. And I was just, I guess I was looking for a reason other than him not looking like he's uh, uh, up and up. Yeah. Um, but now I know if that's the, if Hillary's going to bring that out, there's no way he's going to win. And I, there's all, no way I'll vote for him. Yeah, it's also bring so, up. RJ, no, go ahead. Point, I'd like to um, reach out to those people and say, change your mind now. RJ, great answer. Great yeah. to hear from you, man. Appreciate you. Um, does that make sense of how RJ is going to be a very important person? Because there's going to be a lot of people like RJ. Um, there's... So I talked about this on my local show, I think on Monday. A lot of people yelling at me because of it. Like, oh, how dare you give ammo? It's funny. Some people are like, how, did, how dare you give Hillary Clinton's team ammunition against Trump? And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> okay. First of all, I'm honored that you think Hillary Clinton's team is listening to the show. That's, I really appreciate that. Second, I'm not saying anything that Hillary's team doesn't know. Right? They know all this and much more. They're way ahead of this. Right? They're, go- they're salivating at the opportunity to talk about Trump University. I- I'm not the first person to... You know, they're not like, wait, it's not like there's a Hillary person listening and they're like, I got to tell this to the boss. Like they know there's so I talked about it on Monday and like a day later, I read an article in New York Times and I think Washington Post about the attacks that Hillary's going to throw on Trump. And I was like, oh, I wonder if this Trump University things in it. Like I, we just talked about it on the show. I wonder if this is and it wasn't. But what they did talk about was how Hillary's going to go after Trump's demeanor. No, uh, temperament, sorry, temperament and temperament and oh darn i forget the other word i forget i'll find it but on temperament my point is neither of those two things hillary's gonna they're they're not gonna stick nothing about trump's temperament's gonna stick i guarantee it because he's gonna change his temperament and he's gonna come across as very reasonable very moderate very subdued very soft-spoken um he's gonna instead of talking instead of talking in short quick powerful off the wall sentences and words He's going to be much more eloquent, um, complete sentences, much calm, much more reasonable, I guarantee you, in the next couple months. So the temperament thing's not going to work. And every time they say he has a bad temperament, Ivanka is going to make an appearance. You're going to see so much more of Ivanka Trump and Melania, but mostly Ivanka, his daughter, on the campaign trail. Because Ivanka is one of the most beautiful, um, eloquent, artic- she's like a princess. I'm not even kidding. She's unbelievable. She commands a presence like almost no one I've ever seen. She presents herself like a queen. Like, like you, you, it's unbelievable when she talks. So when Trump has a, is rough around the edges with a temperament, Ivanka is the most polished person you've ever seen. So the temperament attack's just not going to work. It's not. And there's, I forget what the other attack was on uh, that Hillary's going to use, but like, I was like, oh, that's not going to work either. But this one will, at least more so than anything else that's been tried. So if you're a Trump supporter, uh, you got to come up with a good response to it. And I, like I said, I think Trump's got to find 100 people who made millions of dollars off this program and start, and start framing Trump University as an amazing, wonderful thing. And here's the proof. Because otherwise, Hillary's going to frame it as something, and, and it's really going to hurt. one 93 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network.
Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. So there you go. I have nothing else to say about Trump University. But one last thing to think about, the, the protected versus the unprotected. I don't have time to, to read all of Peggy Noonan's article here, but she, she released this a couple weeks ago, and I think it's right. I think it's right. She says, the protected make public policy. The unprotected live in it. Right? So the protected, I think the easiest example to understand is politicians and bureaucrats who don't send their kids to public schools. I think that is so incredibly shameful, even for the president, honestly. And, you know, you say, well, the president has to send his kids to a private school because of security concerns. Jimmy Carter sent his daughter to D.C. public school. Like, it could be done. The message that sends is unbelievable to me. Like, like, I'm going to live here, but and I'm going to fight for public schools, and I'm going to support public schools, and all this. And, and, oh, but I'm not going to send my kids there because they're horrible. Right? That means they, they write policy for public schools, but they don't live in that world. You're forced to live in it. You are unprotected. You're an unprotected American. And as Peggy Noonan says, you have limited resources and negligible access to power. And you just keep getting just attacked from the protected. And the protected don't feel any consequences. And that's why people are supporting Donald Trump, because they think that he's the person who's going to go on the inside and burn it to the ground. But what's going to happen when Hillary Clinton portrays him as someone who preys on the unprotected? They got to get that right. To Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. San Diego's America's finest city. Or excuse me, that's uh, that's what I say on my local show because I'm in San Diego. Because that's our slogan. I apologize. I uh, was distracted here because I'm looking at the primary results coming in. Uh, so Trump's going to win Maine. He's got 48% right now. About 5% reporting. Well... Whoa, wait, whoa, 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 whoa! Slater! You're out of control. Can we start this hour over? Goodness gracious, Slater. I apologize. Here we go. How are you, Slater Crusaders? America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. We got four states for the Republicans today. Trump will probably win Louisiana and Kentucky. Now, I said Trump's going to win Maine. I still think he will. But we got 5% in right now, 5% in from Maine. We got Ted Cruz in the lead. I apologize. I, I was so predicted a, a Trump victory in Maine for reasons that maybe we can chat about. Um, when I saw that someone was up by 48%, I just assumed it was, it was Trump. I am sorry for that. Cruz has 48% in Maine. Trump has 35%. That would be a... Big victory for Cruz. Uh, Maine doesn't have a lot of delegates, a very few number of delegates. I think some of the other states today have 40, 49 delegates. I think Maine has 20, something like that. So small. But uh, that would be a great moral victory to win for Ted Cruz to win a state in the Northeast like that, as far Northeast as you can get. Um, I would call that Trump territory. I really would, Maine, for a lot of reasons. You saw how much he won Massachusetts by. Um, Maine has a lot of old paper mills, right? So it's in many ways, it's like an old Rust Belt city. A lot of the cities throughout Maine. So I, I I thought a big Trump win, but Cruz right now, again, 5% in. 
But with 48%, that is a very strong showing by Ted Cruz. If you're a Ted Cruz fan, um, you should be very encouraged by that out of Maine. Now still uh, some time here. Um, Kansas, however, this is, is definitely Cruz country. We predicted Cruz win here. And this is the important part. And I'll do this real quick. If you Let's say Trump doesn't get a majority of the delegates, which is 1,237 delegates. If he doesn't get that, then we can have a brokered convention which is the only chance that I think Cruz and Rubio really have at this point. But the only way the rules currently state is rule 40. The only way you can submit your name in a brokered convention is if you have, have won a majority of delegates in eight states. Now, Cruz has only won a majority of delegates in one state, Texas. He's won four states, but he hasn't won a majority of the delegates in four states only in Texas. So he has to win seven more states, a majority of delegates in seven states in order to do that. Now, if Cruz wins in Maine, he's not going to win a majority of the delegates. If he wins in Maine, it's going to be a close victory, and he probably won't get a majority of the delegates. But in Kansas, he might. Because he's he's right around 50%. Like right now, he's 49.9%. We've seen him as high as 53%, as low as 48%. So he's going to land somewhere in there around 50%. And if he breaks 50, then that's another state where he has over 50% of the delegates from that state. Uh, so that's two now. And he only needs six more moving forward. And the states moving forward pretty much, uh, I guess, starting next Tuesday, are winner take all. So if he can win six of those states, then he can be in contention to put his name in uh, for an open convention. Marco Rubio, if he doesn't, he can't even be in an open convention. Now, giant asterisks, that's what the rules currently are. They were rewritten in 2012, and they're going to be rewritten again right before the convention. So, you know, that none of that may be meaningful at all, but... As the rules currently state, Ted Cruz really needs to win a majority of delegates in, in uh, a couple more states here. Seven, to be exact. And Kansas might be one of them. So when you're watching the results coming in today, if you're a Ted Cruz fan, uh, a lot of people are going to say, oh, he won Kansas, so we're not going to look at that anymore. No, you have to keep watching and make sure he gets over 50%. That's going to be the key. He's got to get over 50%. That'll be a huge win if he can do that in Kansas. Right now, we got a third of the delegates, or a third of the results in for Kansas, and he's at 49.9%. And then again, Maine, that's awesome. If you're a Cruz fan, that would be a big uh, victory there, big unexpected victory for, for Cruz. But again, this is to, let's see if they updated here. Uh, no, not yet. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. 5% in, that's pretty good. All right, uh, we've talked a lot about Trump today. Let's do other things. I read a great story. I think it was in this segment last week we talked about James J. Braddock. Cinderella Man, the movie Cinderella Man a couple of years ago, and we talked about welfare and how the moral of the story is Braddock in the 20s, 30s saw welfare as a loan, not as an entitlement, not as a way of life. It was a loan. And when he was down on his luck, he finally went on welfare. And as soon as he got back on his feet, he went back to the welfare office and paid it back in full. Incredible. That was James J. Braddock. So we talked about that last week. I want to share another similar-ish story. Read a great story about Dick Winters. Major Dick Winters. Band of Brothers. So during World War II, if you haven't seen the HBO miniseries Band of Brothers, you got to see it. I, I spent forever. I got to watch it again. There was a year there where Dick Winters and his men, Easy Company, were doing just insane things. Just the craziest st- missions ever, starting with D-Day, right? But that wasn't even the craziest, right? He had to, one of the missions was to... Uh, take over Hitler's lair in the Bavarian Alps, right? I mean, just like, what? 
So it was all in a year. Crazy stuff. So after this intense year, they decided to give Dick Winters an easier mission. So he was in charge of the demobilization effort in a part of Europe after the war. So this is supposed to be easy. Right, it's demobilization, the no more enemy. It's easy mission. But in many ways, he says it was harder than anything he's done before. And it wasn't because of the 25,000 surrendered Germans. It was because of his own men, the Americans. A couple of reasons. The men who uh, were sent back home, they were combat hardened. But they were done. They sent back home. The replacements that came in, they just got back from basic training. They had zero discipline compared to the men who they replaced. Dick Winter says these men, they had, quote, nothing to do. No real reason to work. And they were growing lazy, both mentally and physically, and going to H-E double hockey sticks fast. He says, quote, with demobilization, everything that sustains morale in a military command, danger, the potential for combat, the fear of the unknown, all those things virtually disappear overnight. And maintaining discipline and morale become a major leadership challenge. And even Dick Winters himself felt that. Like Within him, he felt this. He said, there's only so much volleyball, sunbathing, and reading that a fella can handle. So I was reading this article from Brett McKay about, about Dick Winters and about this time in his life. And Brett, this is what Brett said. He said, men have a harder time being their best in times of peace more so than in times of crisis. Men have a harder time being their best in times of peace than in crisis. And this is his key line, and this is just what I want the takeaway to be, if, if possible. Idleness kills manliness. Idleness kills manliness. We've talked before on the show about The Walking Dead, about the TV show. You got to watch it. I love it. Uh, it's not about zombies. It's about people. It's about human nature. It's awesome. You have this battle-hardened group during the zombie apocalypse they got to stay sharp they got to sleep with one eye open they have to have each other's back constantly and they get to a town that's been completely walled off the whole zombie apocalypse and everyone inside has no idea the danger that exists outside the walls they have no idea they have a ton of food and everything and they're partying and they're having a good time and it's like nothing happened and because of that they're weak they're weak they have no idea how to survive because they haven't needed to so this battle-hardened group is deciding whether or not they're going to stay inside the town. And Carol, one of the women, she says, no, we can't stay because this place will make us let our guard down and we'll become weak. Long story short, they decide to stay and they become weak in many ways. It's human nature. Men were made to take risks and compete and fight and explore. And we don't do that anymore. We don't have to do that anymore. We li- we're safe and we're prosperous. And the biggest decision I have tonight when it comes to food is what am I going to eat? Not how am I going to eat? Like, like how am I going to go kill something to eat? Or do we have enough food to eat? It's what do I want? Hmm, I don't know. Where can we go tonight? A little date night with the wife. Like, like see the death's huge. That makes us weak. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not, longing for the days of you know not having any food to eat 
But we're missing something if we don't realize. All right, how do we? We're not. If we don't realize that just having food handed to us all the time makes us weak in certain ways, then then we're gonna we're gonna become very weak, and we're not even gonna know when or how or what happened. So again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we need to live in poverty or live like cavemen, or that we need to go to war. But if we're not living in a state of war, then we need to substitute that void with some great mission or purpose or challenge. Right? Isn't it true? Men yearn for a fight. And we got to find something to fight for. And if we don't, then you're going to go soft. You're going to go weak. And I think we see it, right? You, you look at the, our World War II veterans. Some of these guys are 18 years old. So imagine an 18-year-old World War II vet. Or someone who just came back from you know a couple, two years of war, right? Two years of World War II, so twenty years old now. They joined when they were eighteen, and they come back. Imagine that twenty-year-old versus a twenty-year-old today who, you know, whatever, sleeps till noon, plays video games all day, and parties all night, or whatever. Right? There's no drive. There's no purpose. You know, to bring it back to James J. Braddock, he was talking about what welfare does to a person, what being on it does, which is why he gave it back. It was a loan. He knew it was a loan, not a way of life. You know, welfare started out as something for widows and orphans. Why? Why widows and orphans? Because they didn't have men there to support them. I think men need two things. Dignity and purpose. Two important things. Dignity and purpose. We need that. Luxury and idleness destroy it. That's something to think about. 1-888-900-3393. Slater Radio on, uh, on Twitter. Any other results back here from Maine? Let me refresh this page just to make sure, but it doesn't look it. Uh, nope. No update. But Ted Cruz up 48% over Donald Trump's 35% in Maine. That'd be a, I think that'd be a really big upset. Not, not a lot of delegates. In Maine, but it'd be a great moral victory, uh, definitely, for Ted Cruz to win Maine because I, th- I do think that's uh, that's Donald Trump territory there. To be exciting if you're a Cruz fan. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three, and here's Cruz right now at fifty point zero percent in Kansas, and he's got to get fifty percent to win the majority of delegates. So we'll see, and that's thirty five percent of people reporting there. So we still got a little ways to go. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. That'd be a really big win for uh, Cruz if he can pull off Maine. Uh, not delegate wise, but morale wise, uh, momentum wise. Let's go. I want to play this clip here from the, the debate. It's the one clip we're going to play of the debate. Um, I didn't understand this moment. I, I don't even want to focus on the Donald Trump part of this. Uh, this is beyond that. He just happens to be the focus of this clip, but this is really not about Trump. I don't understand this question. Maybe I'm missing something, so I just sort of want to throw it out there and and. I, I, I don't I don't get it. So I just want to play this full thing here. It's two minutes. Numbers don't add. 
that up. Please put up full screen number four. The Education Department, you talk about cutting. The total budget for the Education Department is $78 billion, and that includes Pell Grants for low-income students and aid to states for special education. I assume you wouldn't cut those things. The entire budget for the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, $8 billion. Okay. The deficit this year is $544 billion. That's more than a half trillion dollars. Your numbers don't add Let up, Let me sir. explain something. Because of the fact that the pharmaceutical companies, because of the fact that the pharmaceutical companies are not mandated to bid properly, they have hundreds of billions of dollars in waste. We don't bid properly. We don't have proper bidding procedures. The reason we don't is because they take care of all of the senators, all of the congressmen, and they don't bid. They don't go Mr. out to Mr. bid. Trump, take a look. Excuse me. I, I, you're talking about hundreds of billions no, of dollars no, if we went out to the proper bid. Of Let course me, you no, are. No, you're not, sir. Let's put up full screen number two. You say that Medicare could save $300 billion a year negotiating lower drug prices. But Medicare total only spends $78 billion a year on drugs. Sir, that's the facts. You're talking about saving more money on Medicare. I'm saying saving through negotiation throughout the economy, you'll save $300 billion a year. And that's a huge... Of course it is. We're going to buy things for less money. Of but course it is. That the works only out. money that we buy, the only drugs that we pay for is through I'm Medicare. not only talking about drugs, I'm talking about other things. We'll save more than $300 billion a year if we properly negotiate. We don't do that. We don't negotiate. We don't negotiate anything. Can I, uh, can I? No, no, I think we can stop with that, right? Okay. I, this, honestly, it's, it's not about Trump. Um, I don't understand what Chris Paul's, I don't understand his point. I don't understand his argument. So the, the context there, maybe I should have set this up a little better, is I think he was asked, what would you cut? Donald Trump, what would you cut from the budget? And he said the Department of Education and uh, the EBA. Okay? And they said, well, hold on a second. And he said the Department of Education $78 billion, and I know numbers are hard on radio, but $78 billion, and the EPA is $8 billion, right? So you add that together, it's $86 billion. But the bet deficit is $544 billion. So the numbers just don't add up. And I remember hearing that thinking, I mean, it's a start. And like, what, <laughs> the question wasn't, how would you like name all the things you would cut right now to balance the budget? And I'll add them up real fast until we get to $544 billion. The question was, name something you'd cut. And he named two things. And, and I guess like the suggestion from Chris Wallace, I guess, is, He's saying if you only cut those things, then the deficit won't go away, so therefore we shouldn't cut them? I guess is what Chris Wallace is saying. Like if, I, if the deficit's $500 billion and I say we should cut this program that's $80 billion, Chris Wallace's argument is the numbers don't add up, right? Like that's not enough of a cut, so don't cut it? Am I, am I mishearing this? It was so weird. And then the line of questioning, you know, is like, okay, well, you say you cut the Department of Education, but I assume you wouldn't cut Pell Grants or money for special needs children, which is also in that $80 billion. And honestly, if someone said that to me, I'd say, um, yes, I would, actually. I would cut those things. States, 
States should be doing those. If you like them so much, you bring them down to the state. It's federalism. That's an easy argument to make. The only education-related thing that the federal government should be involved in is veterans, like GI Bill kind of stuff. But that falls more under edu- uh, veterans' benefits, not education. So, yeah, I'd cut Pell Grants and I'd cut money for special needs kids. Those are state issues. But anyway, I don't, I don't, I don't know what Chris Wallace was doing. I, and like that is such a progressive line there like oh the deficit you know you don't cut that because it's not going to cut the deficit enough or you're not going to end up balancing the budget just on that i just feel like i'd be like yeah i I mean there's more i want to cut and i'd also lower taxes and that would increase revenue because of the laffer curve and then the deficit and the economy would grow and then the deficit would be gone but like why are you criticizing me for wanting to cut the department of education like that's that's a strong that's a strong conservative and constitutional position because nowhere in the Constitution is there the Department of Education. So yeah, I'd cut that. But just because just because the budget's not just because the Department of Education budget isn't five hundred forty four billion, you don't think I should cut it? I, it's just so weird. I mean, I don't. Maybe I missed something. Maybe there's another take that they were going for. But I can't imagine why they would be sitting around in a room and make that chart again. Nothing to do with Trump. Just like why you would ever come to that. Think of that line of questioning. That's so it was so odd to me. I, I that's it. That's, that's that my bumblingness is just because I'm confused by that. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. If I'm missing something, Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater is on. Weird, weird moment. Um, real quick election update. So now just fifty percent in in Kansas, and Trump has excuse me, Cruz has forty nine point one percent. So the next fifty percent that come in, he's got to get right over that fifty percent marker in order to win a majority of the delegates. Now, maybe there's something else that can change. Maybe there's like another delegate or two that can choose either way. Every state's a little bit different, but you, if you're a Cruz supporter, you really want Cruz to get over 50% in Kansas so that he can get a majority of the delegates because you need eight of them in order to put your name on the ballot at a contested convention. And no, we have no other reports from Maine other than uh, uh, what we had already. So 48% for Cruz. So if Cruz can hang on, that'd be a great victory for him there. Um, I want to share one more thing about Trump here that uh, you should prepare for. So when you see it happen, you'll 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 know it when it's happening, right? Because a lot of people, if you don't know what's happening and why he's doing this, then it'll come as a shock, or you won't get it. Does that make sense? Like I had a lot of people email me the last couple of days. They say Slater, there it is. It's what you said. That's what you saw. You, you you know you mentioned that before, and here it is. All right, I see it now. I see it. I see him working because I remember for so long, especially when Trump first got in, people in the media had no clue what he was doing. And when we said from the jump, he's not running a political campaign. He's running a business negotiation. So if you read Art of the Deal, you'll get a lot of this stuff. But I've been wondering a lot of the appeal with Trump. So I tried to explore this. And there was a moment when Trump brought up two guys on stage. I forget where he was. And these two guys, though, they like 
roughed up a protester, right? <laughs> I don't know what they did to him. I don't know if they pushed him out or what, or tackled him. I don't know. But Trump invited him up on stage. And there were these two guys. Maybe first guy was like 50, you know, a little overweight, uh, gray hair, maybe bald, but like gray hair on the side, all this stuff. Um, loved Donald Trump. Loved him. Just looked at him. And, and I remember a friend of mine said he looked at him like he was a little boy meeting Babe Ruth. Just a deep admiration for Donald Trump. And it was a very, it was a fascinating moment. The way he shook his hand, the way he hugged him, the way he spoke about him, uh, like with almost tears in his eyes. It was very fascinating. I'm like, what is that? So we did a little, you know, reading into it, looking into it. And it's more than celebrity, right? It's more than that. And, and I use this word prestigious. And we've been uh, defining it in different ways and all the rest. And we can't go into all of it. But I think Donald Trump is going to more and more show prestige. And what that does is it makes him the obvious choice, Right. And and it's going to make Hillary Clinton, if assuming he wins, it's going to make Hillary Clinton seem small and unimportant. So what do I mean? You're going to see a lot more of Trump's airplane. It's not a private jet like everyone else rides around in campaigning. It's a 757 or 47 and with his name blazing across the, the side of it. And I saw a couple of clips. He was in uh, Tennessee a week or so ago. And but I used to live in Tennessee, so I got a bunch of friends there. And they went to the airport hangar, right? They went to the airport and they, they're waiting. And then they see that Donald Trump's airplane fly in and then they're waiting and music's blaring. And then he gets out and he gives a speech in front of his giant airplane. And then he gets back on the plane and flies away, right? That's a prestigious, that's a power move, right? That's a prestigious power move that no one else has ever pulled off. Not running for office, right? So you're going to see a lot more of his plane. You're going to see a lot more of his buildings. Now you've seen a lot of, uh, he used to do a lot of interviews in his lobby, of the Trump tower, but you never really saw a lot of the outside of the buildings. You're going to start seeing a lot more of the buildings. You're going to see more of the post office that he's renovating in DC. Took the old post office building, which is a stunning building and is turning it into a, this just absolutely beautiful hotel off the charts. Never anything like it. Just stunning. And you're going to see a lot more of the, the, all the, all the buildings in New York and all around the world. And that's going to play into his prestige and into his alpha male uh, warrior who builds things. I think there's a real primal desire for that. So you can see more of his buildings. Um, You're going to see a lot more of his wife. Have you noticed this? Maybe even the last couple of days, his wife talking more. (laughs) Now, his ultimate trump card is his daughter, Ivanka who is immensely impressive. She should be running for president. Uh, Have you ever read the book Team of Rivals? I mentioned it from time to time, and I'm going to be mentioning it for the next three years because it takes me forever to read this book. But it's, it's about Abraham Lincoln, but it's also about the three other guys who were running for president in 1860 uh, with Abraham Lincoln. And one of the guys is Salmon Chase. He's from Ohio. It was his daughter, he was he was okay, right? He's a normal guy, kind of, I don't want to say shy, but a little awkward, and he wasn't great in front of a, a big groups of people. And he wasn't great at entertaining, but his daughter 
was incredibly charming and precocious and beautiful. And she organized all of his events and all the dinner parties. And she would always woo the crowd. He wasn't that good at entertaining, right? So his daughter did all of it. And at 19, she was the leading social figure in Washington, D.C. Her name was Kate, Kate Chase. So there's precedent for this. Ivanka is going to be the most important person in Donald Trump's campaign when it goes full swing. I guarantee it. Wait for it. She will be, if there will be a stretch, and I don't know when, but there will be a stretch when it looks like Ivanka's running for president. There will be a stretch when you won't even really see Donald Trump that much. You'll see Ivanka. Because she's the counterbalance to the number one attack that Hillary Clinton's going to make on Donald Trump. And that is his temperament. And I mentioned this a little bit in passing, I think the last hour, the New York Times and Washington Post the same day came out with articles about what Hillary Clinton's going to do against Donald Trump, assuming he wins. Two things. They're going to go after his temperament and they're going to go after his bigotry. Neither of those are going to stick. They're not going to stick. They're going to say that Donald Trump doesn't have a good temperament. So you know what Donald Trump's going to do? He's going to have Ivanka give a couple speeches. Ivanka is beautiful, disarming, the most well-spoken, articulate, and polished person you've ever seen. I remember I watched, did you guys see Donald Trump on New Year's Eve on Fox News? You see, that, that was one of the first times I, I saw her uh, give a speech in a political context. My wife loves Ivanka and loved her for a long time. But um, So Donald and everyone, they were up there. They were talking at like this ballroom in Mar-a-Lago or something. I don't know. And there were like audio problems. And he couldn't hear them. And they were responding you know, 20 seconds too late and they couldn't, they had to repeat themselves and it was awkward and it just didn't work at all. But somehow Ivanka got the microphone. I forget if the reporter, you know, if the Fox news people told, you know, asked for Ivanka, I forget how it went, but Ivanka got the microphone and all the awkwardness and the madness of the moment and the technical problems, like instantly went away. And she just commanded a presence. She changed the whole energy of the room uh, of the interview and just was stunningly captivating. And my wife and I were watching and she stopped talking and Steph goes, oh, wow, she's good. You'll see it. She's unbelievable. So she's the counterbalance to his temperament, his bad temperament. She's unlike anyone you've ever seen. The second attack is he's a bigot. That's where you're going to see Melania. right former supermodel current wife she's going to play a major role because she neutralizes the attack that he hates immigrants and it increases his prestige i just want to play one clip here it's 90 seconds it doesn't even matter what they're talking about i just sort of want you to look at the optics of this imagine this scene so it's anderson cooper and melania melania's wearing this beautiful white dress they're i don't know where they are exactly but it's marble everywhere marble floors marble wall there's columns there's big uh, uh, lions, like statue lions on each side of them, right? They're in like like Versailles, and they're talking about whatever. Here, listen to a little bit of this. We are both very independent and let him be who he is, and he let me be who I am. And uh, You, you know, don't try to change him? I don't try to change him. He's an adult. He knows the consequences. And uh, so I let him be who he is. I give him my opinions many, many times. You do? Yes, and I don't agree with everything what he says, but, you know, that is normal. Uh, I'm my own person. I tell him what I think. I'm standing very strong uh, on the ground, on my two feet, and, and I'm my own 
person, and I think that's very important in the relationship. Do you know, can you say something where you disagreed with him on? Um, oh, many things. Some language, of course. Language? I, yeah, some language I didn't Language approve. you hear him using on the campaign Especially show. I was in New Hampshire when the woman was shouting out uh-huh. the inappropriate word. Right. And I was there, and I'm thinking, like, don't repeat it in my head, just for him. Don't repeat it. <laughs> just don't say it, because the next day, media, all they will talk is about that. Mm. But he repeated He's with the momentum, he goes with the flow, he goes with, with the people, they're having fun, everybody were cheering. And, uh, you know, he said it and the next day, but he repeated the word. That was not his word. Right. So, um, so you, you, he heard from you about that? Yeah, I told him that, yes. Okay, he's out there. I wish you could see that clip. So Anderson Cooper in that 90 seconds is enamored, right? <laughs> His posture... When he's talking to her, his smile, he's captivated. And she's, again, she's wearing this dress that's, you know, $10,000. And and I was talking to a friend of mine about this who saw the same interview. And he, she, he said, I miss, uh, I miss this one part, but he said at some point in the interview, she like took her shawl, like this, this cape shawl thing, like threw it over her shoulders. Like it was like a, out of a movie or something. Right? She will hypnotize the media and neutralize the bigot attack. So temperament and bigotry, Ivanka and Melania will neutralize all that. And it will hypnotize the media. You should see it. Anderson Cooper was literally mesmerized. I'm not even kidding. And it's the same thing with what happened after Super Tuesday with all the media going to Mar-a-Lago, his home in Florida. And I, I said this earlier. I'm not joking. I, I'll never forget. I was watching the Fox News clip. And I think it was Brett Breyer goes, hey, Carl Cameron uh, live at Mar-a-Lago. Man, Carl, it is beautiful there. Good. Wow, you're so lucky to be <laughs> to be there at Mar-a-Lago right now. And Carl's like, oh, it's stunning here, Brett. Marble everything. Beautiful chandeliers. It's like the Palace of Versailles here at Mar-a-Lago, Donald Trump's private residence. And it's like, guys, you are totally falling for it. You are hypnotized. You're hypnotized. And the media will be hypnotized by Ivanka and Melania and Mar-a-Lago and his big buildings and his big plane. Wait for it. Keep an eye. Keep an eye on how Trump's campaign uses prestige in the coming weeks and months. Now, I will end with this. Lest you think I am uh, supporting Trump in this segment or that this is a pro-Trump segment, the original use of the word prestige, the root of the word, means illusion and deception it comes from the word meaning dazzle so you decide if prestige is a good thing or not but he certainly has it and he's going to use it one 888 mike slater show the blaze radio network spread the word you're listening to mike slater on the blaze radio network This is Mike Slater. All right, so Cruz is now officially won Kansas. And with 66% of the votes in, he has 51.2%. He's got to get over the 50% to get the majority of delegates. He's so close. So great news there. And if you're a big uh, Cruz supporter, uh, then uh, the fact that he's winning in Maine is big as well. But that's only 5% in. He's up 48% to 35%, which is pretty big. So uh, that'll be exciting to see how that comes in the rest of the day as well. I only got two minutes here. 
don't really know what I can say in two minutes. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about Trump today, too much. But different different angles, different aspects, different things. You know, a couple weeks ago, Jerry Falwell Jr. of Liberty endorsed Trump. It seemed odd when he did it. I don't know. Uh, but not for me to judge. Someone who is a little more better position is Mark DeMoss. He was former chief of staff of Jerry Falwell Sr. And he came out and said, what, like, how could you endorse Donald Trump when he flagrantly violates the values of Liberty University? So I just want to read the sentence. He said, Donald Trump is the only candidate who has dealt almost exclusively in the politics of personal insults. Again, this is Jerry Falwell Sr.'s um, chief of staff. Who And Jerry Falwell, he says, was like a father figure to him. The bullying tactics of personal insult have no defense, and certainly not for anyone who claims to be a follower of Christ. That's what's so disturbing to many people. It's not Christ-like behavior that Liberty has spent 40 years promoting with its students. And it bothered me that Falwell Jr. said that Donald Trump reminded him of his father. Donald, Trump's, Donald Trump certainly does not demonstrate Jerry Falwell Sr.'s graciousness, graciousness and love for people. Jerry Falwell Sr. would never have made fun of a political opponent's face or makeup or ears. He would not have personally insulted anybody ever. So take that for uh, what you like there. I don't know if anyone cares. I think people that uh, we were on Lou Dobbs last night and, um, you know, we were talking about Mitt Romney's speech, and I said, we had a bunch of callers on my local show the day the Mitt Romney thing happened, Thursday, I guess, who said they are switching their support from another candidate to Donald Trump because of Mitt Romney. So angry at the end. Now, will they, will they at the end? I don't know, but just so angry at the establishment. So angry. They, just, they want someone who's going to go in and just burn it to the ground. And if they're not Christian or Christ-like and throwing insults and this, that, the other... Man, any any time the establishment goes after him, and you think the establishment will figure this out. Every time they go after him, Trump just gets stronger, and more people run to him, and more people cling tighter to him. These guys got a week, week and a half now, to make something different happen. And we'll see if they can do it, and we'll see the results coming the rest of the day. Slater Radio on Twitter, Mike Slater Show on Facebook. We'll see you next Saturday. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.